Heavenly Father, we count the joy of every battle because we know that's where you'll be. In the midst of it all, in the fire, there's a promise that there will always be another. Because of that, Lord, we stand strong for we know that you're with us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' most beautiful and precious name. Amen and amen. I was at the Hillsong Conference when they recorded that song live last October, and it was just, it was epic. It was epic. There's no other words for it. And uh, I, I lost count how many times we kept on singing that over and over again. And I'm glad actually to see Patty and Peter have the manuscripts um, because as I'm preaching this final sermon, um, you should know for those who are visiting today, and I see there's so many new faces here, that uh, I tend to speak at a little bit of a pace. And if you wish to keep up, you may want to follow with the manuscript. So, um, and if I skip the manuscript, well, the last page is true. Uh, so you're welcome to join me there as well, but uh, just raise your hands and they'll pass it out. I was there and uh, enjoying this conference and they were singing the song over and over again as they are prepping it and getting ready to record it and uh, I was just overwhelmed by the lyrics. There was another in the fire standing next to me, there was another in the waters holding back the seas and, and you know, it's, it's incredible that as you're singing this, you're just, you feel that you are connected. You, I, I am drawn into the scripture over and over again as I hear this. It's, it's kind of a bringing back childhood memories for me. And, and this happens to me all the time. Just the other day, my wife and I were driving along and we were on our way to some beautiful spot where we were driving. And as we were passing along on this road, we saw this, uh, this goat, a uh, huge goat with this horns. And, uh, and as we saw this goat or ram or whatever it was, I couldn't see what exactly the animal was. My wife described the animal, said, oh, look, there's this goat ram. And I said, oh, Daniel chapter eight, you know? And she was like, no, it's an animal. And I was like, Daniel chapter eight, you know? So for us, we have different memories when we see things. And so as I was listening to these lyrics, my mind was drawn straight into scripture. And I was just like, all these stories were flooding into my mind. And it's literally, it doesn't matter whether they're mean people around us. It just, I'm overwhelmed with this presence of Jesus. And literally, I kid you not, at Hillsong Conference, this is what happens at Hillsong Conference, they'll, they'll have these incredible songs and, and great sermons, and then they break out into speaking in tongues. I don't speak in tongues, I don't believe in the interpretation that way, and so this woman who was standing next to me, she is broken out speaking into tongues, and she gets kind of upset that I'm not speaking in tongues. In fact, she's speaking in tongues at a very, very rapid rate, turns to me and kind of gives me the glare. And I'm like, I'm happy. It's okay. Mean people, don't worry about it. Keep on speaking in tongues. Be mean while you're doing it. That's okay. Because I'm okay because there was another in the fire standing next to me. And I was just happy in that moment. My heart and my mind were simply drawn into Jesus. It did not matter for me at that moment. In fact, it didn't even matter to me last Sunday when uh, we were with my family. We were at this uh, place. It was uh, about three hours drive um, from Seattle uh, at this beach place uh, in the northern peninsula. Really beautiful location, Long Beach. Uh, and we were at this hotel and we went downstairs to have breakfast. There were 10 of us, 
all extended family members there sitting down. And my son Jonah was the first person where the server went to ask what he wanted for breakfast. And he said he wanted the omelet. And with the omelet comes a range of toasts. And so the server said to, the, to Jonah, what toast would you like? And Jonah said, I would like to have an English muffin. I think this is a really good choice. And she immediately said to him, you can't have the English muffins. English muffins have been saved for the eggs Benedict. And we don't serve English muffins to people who want the omelette. We're saving all the English muffins for the eggs Benedict customers. And I was like, hmm, no, no, I actually can see a little cart over there that has the eggs English muffin on the cart, and there's no eggs Benedict anywhere. Um, I, I literally, it's just a lonely English muffin about to go to room service. And yet, my son's not allowed to have an English muffin with his omelette. That's okay. And here, let me just let you know, and I didn't tell you this, we were the only customers in the restaurant. <laughs> and breakfast was about to end. And there's nobody else in town. All right, so, <laughs> she was clearly a unique person. But it's okay, you know, you don't get so upset about it because, you know, you can have your mind and your heart focused on Jesus and drawn into it. So you kind of just think to yourself, well, I wonder what's going on in her life that she has to be this mean kind of person and, and kind of like cut us off in this way. I was sharing this story on Wednesday this week with some friends of mine. We were in Portland on Wednesday at Mother's. Anybody ever eaten at Mother's in Portland? Oh, yeah, it's a great place. And as I walked into Mother's, I felt like a five-year-old boy. As I walked into Mother's, I saw the glass container, and there was a rhubarb crumble pie. I thought, yeah, I know, I felt that way. Rhubarb crumble pie was like amazing. And I thought, maybe, maybe there's even strawberries inside this rhubarb crumble pie. I was kind of excited about this. So I sat down, and they said, do you want anything to drink? I said, no, water is fine. I know what I need. I need the rhubarb crumble pie. So I mentioned this to the waiter, the server, and the server said, hang on a second, and he disappeared, and, and this other woman arrived, and she, she just yelled at me. She said, you cannot have the rhubarb crumble pie. It is not available for you. She, I mean, she just, and in fact, Sam Lenore was sitting next to me, and my brother Sam Lenore was sitting next to me, and he, he, he just kind of cowered like this, just like, I mean, he disappeared. In fact, I felt like he moved his chair backwards. He's going to be here in a few weeks' time. He can confirm this when he's preaching, and you can confirm this. He kind of moved his chair backwards, and I felt I was like a boy in a head, before a headmaster who was about to get spanked by a paddle that was about this big with whistles inside it, and I was going to get beaten up, and, and I thought, oh my, she was like, you cannot have the rhubarb, it is not available. I'm like, it's, it's right there, I can see it. It is for tomorrow. I was like, oh, clearly, yeah. And, and she said, you can have, you can have peach. I was like, I don't want peach, I'm kind of scared. And so eventually, the server came back, the original server came back, and he said, well, would you like the pie? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, can I have anything in this restaurant? Uh, and he's like, oh, you know, please forgive us for her, you know, she's, she's just, you know. I'm like, I don't know, and so eventually we sorted out. There are some mean people around the world and uh, we kind of let them go. And we can because, you know, we, we love Jesus and we can kind of like stay focused on that kind of stuff. So last month, last month, I was at Red Rocks on Mother's Day for the Luke Combs concert and uh, I know that some of you here love weed, right? And I'm praying for you. Come out of Babylon, I mean Boulder, 
Uh, I often get Boulder and Babylon mixed up. Uh, two B words, very similar. But uh, some of you like weed, and in Red Rocks, apparently a lot of people like weed. So I am standing there on Mother's Day with Becky by my side, and we're at this Luke Combs, and we're, at the, we're, we're in the rafters. We're basically, we've got binoculars to watch the artist, okay? So there it is. There's Luke. We can kind of hear him, and we can see a silhouette of, of this guy singing. And uh, there is the, there's this me standing here. There's enough space between myself and this lady who's standing here. And there's this, this pretend cowboy. There's a lot of pretend cowboys in Colorado. Um, yeah. You know, they wear the gear, never been near a horse. And so uh, they're like, oh my goodness, the horse, the horse, it has teeth. Uh, so this, this pretend cowboy jumps between us and he's, he starts to like do things to this woman, uh, inappropriate, she's offended about it. Anyway, he jumps back. Um, and then he's standing behind us. And, and what happens, what ensues uh, in between here is that he, he eventually lights his stuff and uh, he, he's, this weed starts to waft over me. And I'm like, I, I didn't really pay for that extra. Um, I, I really, I didn't need it. Uh, and so the lady behind me is complaining about it. She's complaining about it. I'm hearing all this stuff. And, and so it just, it, it just, it starts to hit me. So I, I swivel around. Uh, and as I swivel around, like, I mean, I pivot. And, and that moment, as I pivot, I realize that I'm facing not one, but four pretend cowboys. <laughs> and they're all lined up together. Right? So I'm like, okay, now I'm committed. Right? Because once you turn around, you can't like turn around and say, Waltz and Matilda. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're just facing this. It's the reality now. Like, what do you do? Like, hey, good day, mate. I'm Australian. And turn back. So I'm facing them. And, and I look at this guy and I say to him, um, it's illegal. Put it out. Um, and, uh, and he is like, he's got it. He's trembling. He's drunk and he's high. And he's like, and he's, he's like down here. And I said, and so in, what begins is this kind of conversation, but there's a, there's a cowboy next to him. I'll refer to him as cowboy number four. Um, <laughs> cowboy number four decides to engage me at this point, and he gives me some eye contact, and he says, well, he heard you, so you can turn around now and go back to the concert. And, and I, and I... And I say, <laughs> I'll turn around when he puts it out. <laughs> it's Mother's Day, uh, and Becky's standing beside me. Um, so what begins is a, is a little dialogue, uh, you know, <laughs> little little tete-a-tete, you know. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing fine. And, uh, and so I don't let go, he doesn't let go. It's kind of like this defying moment and until I feel the weed is out. And the wheelie's out. The cowboy, of course, number four, keeps on staring at me, keeps on saying things, and I keep on until the weed is out. I turn around, round number two, ding, ding. Uh, halfway through the concert now, uh, some, some be empty beer glasses start to hit the back of my legs, right, because they're drunk and they're, like, kicking their stuff, and I, I just let it go. It's not weed, it's empty. It's okay, I don't mind some wet trousers, it's fine. I let go. Round number three, um, what happens at this point is that, uh, these mean people, is that uh, cowboy number one, uh, and this is 30 minutes before the concert ends, cowboy number one jumps between us and then scurries out, right? 
And then cowboy number two does the same thing. He just jumps between us and scurries out. And then cowboy number three attempts to jump between us. He's so drunk and high, he's like, oh, I, I thought there was a space. And he falls down and then he hobbles out. And then cowboy, pretend cowboy number four, remember? Pretend cowboy number four, he, he jumps and somehow he, he ends up touching me. So he jumps and he smacks his body into my body. And suddenly I remember. I remember everything I learned at school. I remember it all just kind of rushes back into your brain and into your muscles that never worked before and your neurons that you never used before. And it's just like rushing back and memories, all sorts of things are happening. Suddenly I remember Newton's third law. For every reaction, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I'm thinking, ah, ah. So, as he smacks his body into mine, my body instinctively just reacts to his one, and I push him back gently, right? And so, as I do this, his body swivels around, and he lands on the steps down below, and he clenches his, fist, his hands together to, to begin to tete-a-tete on a different way, right? Uh, and so... So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, it's Mother's Day, and, uh, and Becky's by my side, and now everybody's watching, right? Nobody even knows that there's a concert going on. Who's Luke, what? <laughs> there's some music going on, everybody's surrounded around here, and this guy begins to say some words, he exchanges some words that would make you blush, right? And, and, I, and I tell him, look, brother, I call him brother because we're Christians, um, you're not going to win this. Look at where you're standing. I've seen enough battle movies. You're lower down, I'm up. I have the advantage. Um, and, and of course, I may have said it in a stronger voice. Uh, and of course, I may have given my best Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, Bruce Willis impersonation at this point, right? I kind of like merged it all together and just like mustered everything together. And, uh, and he eventually, he eventually, he walks off from the situation, which I'm really thankful for because as you know, and I've told you this before, I actually can't fight <laughs> and I can't run. And so, <laughs> so I just developed this uh, kind of like call your bluff move inside this thing and it worked. And here's the difficulty. Do you think, do you think wearing a t-shirt that says Boulder Church on it and live love was the best representation at this point? Do you think love, love resonated with Cowboy 1, 2, 3, 4? Do you think that Amos, the prophet, um, would have said, oh, great job, Pastor Japheth. Do you think that Amos, the prophet, would have been on my side and said, you are such a follower of Jesus? Or do you think he would have said, maybe, Japheth, when I lift up this plumb line and I measure it, you're the one who's actually the mean person? because there are other ways you could have handled this. Do you think that that's what Amos did three, nearly 3,000 years ago when he wrote this, and it's still so true now, it is so easy for us to point the fingers at other mean people. And there are lots of mean people that we meet all the time who are mean to us about all sorts of little things, and we kind of like, oh, they're mean, and they're mean, and they're mean, and, and all this kind of stuff. And honestly, when I looked at this sermon, I thought, this is my final sermon, and, and the title, we had chosen the title a year ago, and I thought, how awkward, I got to preach my final sermon, and it's called Mean People, and I thought, what, are, what am I trying to say? Hey, the church, mean people, 
um, I thought, make sure that you understand that that's not actually what the intent was. The text is talking about the fact that Amos says, look, I, I, I came to you and you were not supposed to be mean people. You talk about all the mean people out there, but in fact, you have become mean people. And we shouldn't be mean people. This is not the way that God has called us to be this way. I felt that when I started off in Red Rocks, I, my motives were right, but then it escalated out of control. Israel, oh Israel, you started in the right place. Defender of the weak, generous to the poor and needy, welcoming to the stranger, sounds like all the gift sets of Abraham the Great. But when you lose sight of the one who blesses you, and when you lose sight of the one who really loves you, sometimes you become the oppressor of the weak. And sometimes you become the oppressor of the poor and the needy. And sometimes you become the oppressor of the stranger within your gates. I don't know what's going on with those four guys, but I shouldn't have handled it the way that I handled it. The human cycle of those who abuse become the abuser, and, and we allow ourselves to fall into that place. And this is what Jesus was pleading with Israel in the whole text of Amos, chapters 7 and 8. And all the way through into 9, a little bit until next week when Alex Bryan comes and he will end it on this hope message that Amos kind of says, look, there is restoration promised inside here. There's this pleading that Jesus says to us all the time, and he pleads with us and says, I don't want you to be in this space. I won't want you to be a people that are mean. It is where we spend so much time looking at others, look at ourselves as well. Amos' message is so painful, right, that the church at the time send out leaders to talk to him. They send out Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, to confront Amos and says, listen, we hear that you're saying there are mean people, but it sounds like you're saying that we are the mean people. We don't really like that. We would rather, Amos, that you told us that there are other mean people in the world, but when you tell us that we need to repent, that is a prophetic message that we would rather not hear. And we'd rather you leave and step away from this. Who wants a prophet in their own town? Nobody does, right? It was a tension when uh, we began the one project, my, my colleagues, my friends and I, my brothers and I, and I remember this, uh, and I, I haven't shared this out loud, so I'm gonna share this out loud with you guys. Um, it was in our, uh, our gathering, our second gathering in Seattle in 2012. We met in a private room uh, after the gathering, I think it was after day one. And uh, there was a, it's a room and we had maybe about 20, 30 people in this room, thinkers and different voices, all ages inside there. And I, I tell you that the, the room was electric for us. Like our brains were on fire. We felt like the spirit anointing of the spirit of God was on us. We felt like uh, we were, our brains were, the synapses were like firing so fast. We knew exactly what God was speaking to us and what we actually needed to do. And in fact, one of us said, we felt like the line in the sand had been drawn. And, and it was in the room, and later on afterwards, as people, people were saying to us in the room and other places as well, said, what line was drawn? There was shock. Some people even cried with us and said, you, you, you can't draw a line. You can't, you can't do what you're doing. And then the council from leaders all over the place came to us and said, listen, you, you can't do what you're doing. This is, this is just too, too heavy, what you're doing here. You, you, need to, you need to pull back. And this is where we learned that there is a difference between the prophetic voice and the pastoral voice. And we understood that they were very uncomfortable with the prophetic voice, but they were okay with a pastoral voice. We love to hear the prophetic voice about other people, 
We love to hear the pastoral voice about ourselves. Um, and what happens here is that if you reverse that, it becomes the book of Amos. And the book of Amos is uncomfortable, like many other books in the Bible, when the prophetic voice becomes about ourselves. So when the prophetic voice about ourselves, it becomes very, very hard. And when the pastoral voice even hits home about ourselves, that we must repent and we must come back to Jesus, that becomes even hard as well. Next February, when we host another One Project gathering, we've decided that we will hold our prophetic voice open. And that's important for us to unleash our prophetic voice, which is an uncomfortable voice that some people have. But today, I stand here with this one final message to you. As, as pastor of this church, I have, it has been a tremendous privilege to be the shepherd for this community, this family. I will always be a pastor, I will just not be able to be the shepherd for this particular family. And uh, as difficult as that is for myself, um, it is something that's weighed heavy on my heart as to what to share. And as I thought about this, and I thought about this text in Amos, uh, I thought, should I leave the text of Amos? And I thought, well, God spent a lot of time with us reflecting on where we should go, and so I decided to stay with this text of Amos. I have, at times, shared a prophetic voice with you. And those have been really uncomfortable times. Uncomfortable for myself and uncomfortable for us as an entire church family. And the church said, amen. All three of you did. I know, I know. Because nobody likes to say amen when we hear about prophetic voice. But I am, at times, like Amos, I feel like a, a prophet from a really small village from nowhere with just this burden that God has laid on me where God said, hey, this is actually what we need to actually address. And for us as a community, we've had to repent. We've had to, as a community, learn to love in a different way. We've actually, as a community, learned to actually take the narrow path. It is not the popular path. There is a much easier way for us to be a church. Oh, believe me. There's a much easier way for us to be church than the way that we did. But I believe that that's what we actually had to do, and I believe that God called us to that. I have at times shared the pastoral voice with you, and those for me have been some of the most tender memories, and I will treasure those for the rest of my life as well, where we have learned to forgive each other, where you have forgiven me, and I have forgiven you, and we have learned to forgive each other, where we have cared for each other, where we have become the church of the future today. That's what's actually really beautiful with the pastoral voice. A place that strives to bring heaven and earth together. A place where we talk about the character of God and we try and we strive every single way to be able to say, this is actually what we're trying to do. To demonstrate, to, to explain, to let you know that the character of God has been destroyed by humanity and you should know that he is love. And we need to retell that story. And we see that through Jesus Christ. Hence, the only standard of excellence, the only plumb line that we actually have, that we measure everything off, the only model we have is in the one person of Jesus Christ. So, let me end with this story of what happened just a couple of weekends ago. Becky and I were away at this mountain film festival and a conference out there. And there was this one session that took place um, at the Mountain Film Festival where Cheryl Strayed, uh, and the author who wrote the book Wild and uh, her memoirs inside there, had a surprise guest come along. Her surprise guest was Oprah Winfrey. 
Everybody was excited to be able to get tickets to go to that. We were able to get inside, and so we lined up for the hours to be able to get inside to go see Oprah Winfrey. I was curious. I've never been to see her live, and so I went inside there, and I wanted to see what it was like, and it, it was an interesting and powerful experience. Cheryl and Oprah are really good friends, and so they have tremendous chemistry inside this process. She shared so much of her life story in this moment. She shared about uh, the one-night stand that her parents had under an oak tree, the result was that she was born. She shared about the sexual abuse that she had experienced that it took her until the age of 42 to be able to address and deal with. And I know that for some of you, you understand exactly what I'm talking about here. She shared about the abandonment that her mother had given her up and that her grandmother had actually grown her up and all that entailed to be given up and thrown away and discarded, but then to have this incredible, strong grandmother love her and grow her. And in fact, how her grandmother had taught her to read the Bible as a child so that when she went to school at pre-K, she was able to read the Bible and jump through to first grade and eventually skip a few grades and the Bible, the Bible opened up her mind. Then came this moment in the interview, and this is about two hours, there's hundreds of people inside here. And uh, she said that, um, you know, she had grown to know her mother, um, and she said that her mother was at the end of her life, and she was there in her mother's room, and she said goodbye to her mum. She said, bye, mum, and she said she left, she got on her jet, and she flew away. And as she was flying away, she suddenly realized, I'm doing the one thing that I tell everybody they shouldn't do. I haven't, I haven't talked to my mum. I haven't said what I needed to say to my mother. I haven't done what, what God had called me to do or what life has called me to do. So she turned her jet around and flew back to see her mom. And she went into the room, she said, boy, her mom had the temperature up at 90 degrees, right? So her mom is there and she went inside the room. She didn't know what to do. She sat inside the room there and she thought, man, all she knew is this, the Bible said, honor, your father and your mother. So she said, I've got to honor my father and mother and I don't know what to do with this. The next morning, she said that uh, a thought came into her mind and she doesn't know where this thought came from. Now, for those of you here this morning who understand who Jesus Christ is and understand the word of God, when I tell you what happens, you're going to know exactly where that thought came from. You're going to understand that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and that she heard the Word of God speak into her life and something beautiful took place. And you're going to see this because what happens here is that these, this moment where she just responds to this and something beautiful takes place. Now, there's two things that you should know that takes place before I tell you what, what she shares here. First is this, that she has a really good friend. He's a, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor called Whitney Phipps. Whitney Phipps is a, a professional singer. It's just got this incredible voice, and he's a preacher and a pastor and great friend, very personal friend of hers. And then the second thing you should notice this is that the room is packed out. 600 people in this room, people on the walls. I mean, the police are inside the room there, and every fire code is broken, right? But you could hear the pin drop. It's that silent. And then Oprah kind of just leans forward on the chair, and she says, um, I, had this, I had this moment where I just had this idea. Something just came to me. I just, I knew what I should do. And I called my friend Whitney on FaceTime. So she calls Whitney on FaceTime and she said, Whitney, 
It's my mom. You know her. I need you to sing to my mom. And I need you to sing, Precious Lord, take my hand. So he sings in his voice, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, and I'm alone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Then she said she grabbed, she, she was holding her mama's hand, and she grabbed her mama's hand, and she said to her mama, Mama, I knew when you were 17, and you were pregnant with me, you had a choice, and you had me. Look what you had. You had me. You had Oprah Winfrey. How lucky are you? <laughs> and they laughed, and the mother nodded. They had this moment. They became together. Oprah said, before God, she honored her mother. And all the things that she had shared before, when her mother just wanted to know her only when she had money, only when she became famous, only wanted to be part of a life, one that had happened, all that just flew away. All the meanness flew away. Because in that moment, we're made for greater things. I tell you this, that it is well with our soul when we can look at mean people, when we can look at people that hurt us, and we can see Jesus in them. So I'm going to read to you, my friends, uh, one text, one final text this morning. And I want you to think about this text, and then I'm going to invite you to stand. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are you, Boulder.